When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Here we podcast. It is Thursday, February 11, 2021. People, I hope everyone is having a great day. I hope everyone is having a great week. And since I won't talk to you beforehand, I hope everybody has a great Valentine's Day. That's right. Coming up Sunday. Hope you got your loved ones some flowers, some chocolates. You want to pick up something for your boy AT while you're there? No problem from my perspective, but just wanted to be a friendly reminder. I was looking at the calendar, realized it's the 11th, the 14th is coming up. But enough about Valentine's Day. We got stuff to get into today. Great show today. Here's what the rundown of the show looks like. I'm going to open with kind of a unique segment. Not a ton happened on Wednesday, so I kind of created a segment out of thin air, and that's this. So many of you are fans of teams that stink this year. You're a Kentucky fan, a Michigan State fan, a Duke fan. Kansas kind of stinks even though they'll probably make the NCAA tournament. And you always say to me, Torres, I can't get into this season. My team stinks. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to open the show with a little segment I like to call Eight Reasons Why You Should Still Be Watching College Basketball Even If Your Team Stinks. I think it'll be a really fun segment that I think you'll like and give you some rundown on what you should look for the last half of the season, the last month of the season if your team stinks, if they're not playing for anything, we'll transition to some news of the day. Nothing major happened. UConn did take a loss, and I can't lie, my alma mater is inching closer and closer to the bubble. Don't like it one bit. Uh, beyond that, what else is going on? Oh, the G League. Remember the G League? Remember when all those high school stars went to the G League and it was a big deal and it was going to ruin college basketball? They finally played their first game on Wednesday. I'll talk a little bit about that, why I don't think they're as big of a threat to college basketball as maybe we thought. Speaking of which, remember McCourt Maker, the kid that committed to Howard in the offseason, and Howard was going to become this basketball power. Well, as it turns out, they have shut down their season. McCourt Maker played just two games. We'll talk a little bit about that. Following that, we will then bring on another great guest, Friday, or, uh, Tuesday's show, it was Joe Lenardi. Wednesday's guest, head coach, Alabama Crimson Tide, Nate Oates, 
joins the Aaron Torres podcast. We just talk a lot about this past season, what happened, what's working, why Coach Oates in Alabama have had so much success. Just a really fun interview with a guy that, that I think really uh, he and I have hit it off really well here over the last couple years. He's been on the show before, but certainly not since uh, Alabama has emerged as a college basketball power the way that they have. So Nate Oates will join me momentarily. But with that said, people, let's get into the topics of the day. There is no more time to waste, and I want to start with a very simple premise. And it's because I'm a nice guy, it's because I love you, and it's because, let's be honest, a lot of you guys listening, your team probably stinks this year. Unless you're a Gonzaga fan, unless you're a Baylor fan, unless you're a UConn women's basketball fan, unless you're a Drake fan, and I'm not talking about the rapper, your team probably stinks. And so what I wanted to do, I have so many saying, Aaron, I just can't get into college basketball this year. It's so tough. I just don't really, I'm not digging it. I'm not enjoying it. So let me give you eight reasons why you need to keep watching college basketball because it's a great sport and it's been a really fun season, but I understand if it's hard to follow. I know I've said this before. I actually believe college basketball has been maybe hurt by the uh, COVID and by the kind of start and stop nature of the season more than any other sport. I truly believe that because college football, uh, even if your team gets postponed or canceled, you still can tune in every Saturday and know that you're going to have games on your TV. And same with the NFL. Major League Baseball is basically an everyday deal, but college basketball, it's hard enough to keep track of who's playing when under normal circumstances, but to have teams starting and stopping, to have good teams not available, Baylor currently on pause, Michigan currently on pause, I understand it's a tough sport to follow, even in normal circumstances, but especially in COVID, and so here are the reasons you need to keep watching college basketball if you're kind of, I'm a little bit out and it's March, am I really going to get into it? Here's why I need to watch. Reason number one, Gonzaga and Baylor are going for history. And I get it. Most people listening are not Gonzaga or Baylor fans. Many of you are probably Kentucky fans, probably Duke fans, probably Louisville fans, probably Indiana fans. And seeing Gonzaga and Baylor win is like seeing your, your cousin who never you thought was never going to amount to anything creates an app and makes a billion dollars that's basically what what being a Kentucky fan watching Baylor and Gonzaga is right now it's the it's watching your cousin that you never thought was going to have success knock it out of the park but I do think they're worth monitoring one they're two incredibly fun teams to watch they both are in the top 10 nationally in scoring they run fun offense they shoot the ball insanely well they play a modern version of college basketball two if your team stinks I would also say they're kind of built the way that I think college basketball programs are going to have to be built successfully going forward. Baylor is a team full of veterans where a bunch of four-star guys, a bunch of three-star guys, a couple guys, Davion Mintz and Macy Oteague, who are transfers that sat out for a year. Scott Drew, and he talked about it on this podcast one time, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Scott Drew, by the way, he talked about the value of a red shirt, how important it is to him. And so you look at how he's done it. You look at how Gonzaga's done it, where they've developed some guys in the program. Uh, they also have taken on transfers. They do have some high-caliber freshmen. Jalen Suggs is going to be a lottery pick this year. They're two fun teams, and they're built the way that you want your team to be built. Balance of NBA talent, but veterans, guys with experience, guys that have come through the program, guys that have transferred. That is just the reality of college basketball in 2021. But I also think you got to follow them because they're going for history. We've only had three teams in the last 30 years enter the NCAA tournament undefeated, and we might have two in 2021 with Baylor and Gonzaga. 
Gonzaga, believe it or not, I believe they only have three regular season games left. Now, I'm not sure if they might try to make up something here or there at some point, but they only have three games left this regular season, only two after this weekend, and then they'll probably only have one or two games in their conference tournament. And so we're only talking about four or five times that we're going to get to see Gonzaga before the conference tournament start. Baylor is currently in postponement, but when they come back, they're not going to have very many games left. So enjoy them while you can. Enjoy them while you go for history. And that's number one. Watch them because they're awesome, but they're also going for history. Number two reason that you need to be following college basketball, the Big Ten is also going for history. I don't know how much this has been reported, but to me, it's kind of a big story. The record for most NCAA tournament teams in one season was the Big East in 2011. Shout out to Kemba Walker. Shout out to Alex Oriaki. Shout out to Jamal Coombs McDaniels. That was the year UConn won the national championship, but 11 teams from the Big East made the NCAA tournament this that year, and the Big Ten is sort of knocking on the door of doing it. Joe Lenardi's most recent bracket, nine teams in. Penn State is one of the first four out, and Maryland is one of the next four out. I don't think ultimately all those teams will get in because while there's those two teams that are on the bubble on the flip side, there's also teams that are just in on the bubble, such as Indiana, which barely survived on Thursday. So I don't know that they'll get to 11, but I think it's going to be fascinating, and I think it will, it'll be interesting to see if they can get to 11 for this NCAA tournament. I'll tell you, I see some teams like a Maryland, like uh, in Indiana, that I think on Indiana's best they can play with just about anybody, not the elite of the elite. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can do it, because I think they have a lot of interesting teams, not to mention the teams that are good enough to basically win it all, Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio State. Reason number three, you need to keep watching college basketball. Great year for the mid-majors. So I think with the power conference teams struggling the way that they are with fewer out of conference games where you you lose a bunch of games early and you get beat up and you lose confidence I think because of it we have some great stories in the small conferences in college basketball just as an example Drake not the rapper the basketball team one on Wednesday night they're now 19 and one Yes, started from the bottom, now we're here. John Rothstein says that all the time. It's kind of corny, but it's, yeah, whatever, who cares? They're 19-1. Loyal of Chicago, who they'll play this weekend twice, also in the Missouri Valley, ranked in the top 25. Those are two really good teams. Beyond them, Belmont, 20-1, running through the Ohio Valley. How about this? How about the South Dakota Coyotes? have never won, have never made an NCAA tournament. They are in first place in the Summit League. Really fun team with a really good player who could play anywhere because he almost transferred out of South Dakota South Dakota and schools like Arizona and stuff were interested. Beyond them, I got two schools for you you might not have thought about with two coaches you might not have thought about, but I have a feeling you'll be rooting for them when you hear the story. First one, Grand Canyon University. Formerly coached by Dan Marley, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. He got fired in March, and guess what? Bryce Drew, remember him? Vanderbilt, he took over. Well, GCU now in first place in the WAC, in position to make their first ever NCAA tournament bid, would be pretty cool for them to make their first NCAA tournament in Bryce Drew's first year. After that, how about UAB, Alabama-Birmingham, coached by Andy Kennedy? Big year for former ESPN announcers getting head coaching jobs. UAB in first place in the Conference USA in their division could very well make the NCAA tournament. So a lot of good mid-majors. Like I said, Drake, Grant Canyon, Belmont, on and on and on. 
the fourth reason why you need to watch college basketball. I think these next few months are going to be a good showcase for the young coaches in the sport. And this is a sport that seems to be it seems to be dominated by the older guys. And what I mean by that is college basketball is a sport where because the players leave so quickly, so often, there's so much roster turnover that really the coaches are the stars of college basketball, not the players. And so I think that without a Kentucky, without a Duke, without a Michigan State, without a Tom Izzo, without a Jim Beheim, without a Coach K, without a John Calipari, this is going to be a good showcase for that next generation of coaches. By the way, if you're one of those schools that wants that's that, that's kind of thinking my coach is washed up, I got to figure out who the next guy is. And by the way, I don't think you should be thinking that unless maybe you're a Syracuse fan. This can be a good showcase for these guys. How about Chris Holtman, Ohio State? Had there been an NCAA tournament last year, he would have made his sixth straight NCAA tournament. He now has Ohio State in the top five, 49 years old. Nate Oates, who's going to join this podcast, has the best team in the SEC probably this season. He's 46. Juwan Howard, 48. UConn, who we'll get to in a minute. I think they're going to make the tournament. Dan Hurley, 49. Chris Beard, Texas Tech, 47. That national championship game run for Chris Beard two years ago, great showcase for him. I think this tournament's going to be a great showcase for those guys because, as we know, I'm not pushing Tom Izzo out the door. I'm not pushing Coach K out the door. These guys are icons. But when they're gone, who's that next generation of guys? And I think we're starting to see that, and I think we're going to see that this year with the Chris Holtmans, Juwan Howards. And again, I would add, if your team stinks this year, might be time to start, you know, just kind of peeking around the corner, seeing who might be that next generation of guys. Outside of the young guys, I think it's also going to be an interesting uh, showcase for the older guys who make it. Who am I talking about? Well, I talked about Bob Huggins on Wednesday's show. Bob Huggins has said this is his best team since 2010 when he made a Final Four. I don't think West Virginia is going to win the national championship. We already saw them against Gonzaga. We're going to see them against Baylor. I don't think that they're on this level, but you never know. Weird year, weird tournament setup, COVID team has guys missing. West Virginia might be that team that makes a deep run. They're playing really well. I don't think people realize it. Bob Huggins, West Virginia is in second place in the Big 12. How about Leonard Hamilton? These are Leonard Hamilton's last three years at Florida State. 2018 makes the Elite Eight, loses to Michigan in the Elite Eight at Staples Center. I was at that game. 2019, loses in the Sweet 16 to Gonzaga. 2020, has the best team in the ACC, no tournament is played. Last three years, he's been knocking on the door. Does he make his first Final Four? How about, I'll give you a name that no one ever talks about, Lon Kruger. Crazy stat on Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger has been a head coach at some level for almost every year since 1986. 1986 is a long time ago. 35 years, no, no, I take that back. He's been a head coach since like 82 or 83. He made his first NCAA tournament in 1986. You know how long ago 1986 was? David Robinson, the Admiral, was playing in the NCAA tournament. Jerry Tarkanian, John Thompson, guys like that were coaching in the NCAA tournament. Jim Beheim still coaching. He was coaching in that tournament too. But that was a long time ago. Lon Kruger, first NCAA tournament appearance, 1986. He's still going strong. He's in his 60s. Does he make one final big run? Oklahoma's looking pretty good. How about Rick Barnes? Hasn't been back to a Final Four since 2002. He might have the team that's doing it. They look pretty good on Tuesday, on Wednesday night as they got their second straight win after beating Kentucky this weekend. Beyond the coaches, 
How about the players? Listen, I know college basketball, you know, you want the Blue Bloods, you want the best players to be at Kentucky and uh, uh, Duke and make it interesting and all that stuff. There's still some good players. We know about Cade Cunningham. He's awesome. This guy does more, uh, you know, this guy is on ESPN more than Stephen A. Smith, but he's still a really good player. He's going to be fun to watch. As of right now, it looks like Oklahoma State will not miss the NCAA tournament. They're still appealing their NCAA tournament uh, situation. On top of him, you have Evan Mobley at USC. I don't think people realize how good this guy is because he plays at USC, but I think there's a definitive possibility he could go number one overall in the next NBA draft. Kid's been phenomenal. He's averaging 17 points, nine rebounds, three blocks, 58% shooting from the field, hitting a few threes. He's incredible. Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga, another potential number one pick. And then you have the older guys. You have the Io DeSumus and Kofi Coburns at Illinois. You have Luca Garza, his, his last run. Mac McClung at Texas Tech. He's an interesting player. I think he's, there, there's going to be some fun players and storylines to watch in this NCAA tournament and over this last month of the college basketball season. Miles McBride from West Virginia is must-watch as well. On top of that, again, this is for you guys that have bad teams that you follow. How about this? You need some talent. It's kind of a good time to kind of scout those mid-majors. Ah, Who's out there? Who could be on the transfer market? Now, don't go tampering. Don't go sliding into DMs. That's creepy. But think about all the players who are, are playing so well in college basketball this year that you had never heard of a year ago. Carleek Jones at Radford, who is now Louisville's best player. That guy made a buzzer beater to send Radford to the NCAA tournament. Now he's tearing up the ACC. Charles Miniland who's also at Louisville, was on San Francisco at this time last year playing Gonzaga for a conference championship. Macy Oteague, Baylor's second-leading scorer. He was at UNC Asheville a few years ago. I mentioned Mac McClung. That's not really the same because he was at Georgetown, but he's a transfer. So I'm just telling you, there's going to be good players that you're like, oh, I kind of remember that, and they're going to hit the transfer portal this summer, and all of a sudden your team's going to be interested in bringing them in. Finally, and this is most important, the last reason. Why you have to watch, and I've gone through it all, Gonzaga and Baylor going for history, the Big Ten going for history, the mid-majors, the young coaches, the old coaches, the players. Final reason, it's March freaking madness. And I know it sucks that your team sucks. By the way, my team sucks too. We're going to get to UConn in a minute. But I know that your team sucks. But what I would also tell you is March is awesome. And we were deprived of it last year. It is unfortunate we didn't get it last year. And we deserve March madness. And oh, by the way, it's March what are you going to do? It's all college basketball all day, every day. And this year, with the way the NCAA tournament is spread out, there's even more games on TV, more standalone games, more games all day, more games in the afternoon. And I'm just telling you, you can tell me, oh, I'm not going to watch the NCAA. Yes, you are. Stop it. Of course you are. What else are you going to do in March? Go for a hike? It's cold. You can't go anywhere. COVID. Haven't you heard? So those are my eight reasons why you need to watch college basketball Gonzaga, Baylor going for history. The Big Ten going for history. The mid-majors are going to be really fun. The young coaches, the old coaches, the players, the transfers, and of course, March Madness. All right, let's get into the topics of the day from Wednesday. Talked Tuesday about the Arkansas-Kentucky game. Talked about West Virginia, Bob Huggins. Let's get into some topics of the day. Not a busy, busy day in college basketball, in the college basketball space. But I think the most relevant thing, unfortunately, is my alma mater, which I just said, the University of Connecticut. They lose again. 
And I can't lie, guys. I'm starting to get worried. Not sure if you heard, but on Tuesday, Wednesday actually, we had Joe Lenardi on the podcast. He was awesome. He was incredible. And we talked about UConn, and he kind of said, yeah, no, UConn's going to make the NCAA tournament. Well, at some point, you got to start winning some games. And UConn, on Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon really, they went to Providence and lost to a bad Providence team 70-59. to And it continued to trend as they have now lost four of five They were awful from the field, awful from three, four of 20 from three. Frankly, I thought got a little bit out-toughed by Providence. The one thing you can't say under the Danny Hurley era, this team has always been the tougher team. I thought they were a little bit out-toughed on on Wednesday afternoon. But it's starting to get concern time for, for UConn. And in UConn's defense, for people who don't know a lot about their team, when they started out really well, their best player, James Booknight, was playing. He has since gotten hurt. He hurt his elbow seven games ago, or really eight games ago. He's missed the last seven, had to have surgery. He should be back soon. And so you can understand why UConn has struggled, as I said, going one and four in their last five. At the same time, the Providence game was one that you should have won. Providence came into this game nine and ten overall. They had lost three straight. And if you're an NCAA tournament team, that is just a game that you're supposed to win. And so I don't want to overanalyze. I don't want to talk. Here's the bottom line. I had never at any point really been all that worried about UConn making the NCAA tournament because I just felt like, okay, they're going to win the games they're supposed to. They're going to take care of business and they're going to be fine and they're going to get enough NCAA tournament wins. Well, it's officially concern time. Like I said, eight and five overall. You lost four of your last five. Since James Booknight got hurt, your only wins are over the two worst teams in the Big Ten, or the Big East, excuse me, you beat uh, beat Butler twice, and you beat DePaul once. I guess Butler is no longer at the bottom of the standings, but they're towards the bottom of the standings. And now UConn's 8-5 overall and and 5-5 in Big East play. And to me, it's troublesome for this reason. I was talking to a friend of mine who coaches in the Big East at another school, not UConn, and what he was telling me, which I think is kind of interesting, there's just not a lot of good wins to be had in the Big East this year. Villanova's really good. Creighton's really good, but after that, Xavier's uh, in, but they haven't played in a while. Seton Hall's okay. St. John's is okay, but there's not a lot of great wins for UConn left on the schedule. They've already played Creighton twice and lost to him. They already played Seton Hall once and lost to him. One of the Villanova games was canceled, and so you look at the rest of the schedule. Their three biggest games are all on the road: at Xavier, at Villanova. At Seton Hall, you don't play Creighton again, you have Providence again, and you don't have a lot of games that you feel great about going into and feeling like, okay, we're definitively going to get a win here. So for UConn, I think one, it's about getting healthy. The hope is that you bring James Booknight back, and again, some of it is defensible. There, James Booknight, for people who don't know, is a 20-point-a-game scorer. There are no t- there is no team in college basketball that can lose a 20-point-a-game score and not be impacted at all, but again, If you're an NCAA tournament team, this felt like a game on Wednesday that you're supposed to win. UConn falls to Providence to fall to 8-5 overall. A couple other topics from Wednesday I want to get to. The first one, remember about a year ago, that big story that popped up, oh, all these high school players, they could go to college, but have chosen to take a unique pathway called the G League Pathway. And what the pathway was, for people who forget, 
it was for the one-and-done player, rather than going to college, the NBA basically created a program that was essentially a training program for these players, and at some point they would play G League teams, they would travel, they would do this, they would do that, but for the most part, it was essentially a developmental academy where they move to California, they work out a lot, and all of a sudden, bing, bang, boom, you show up a minute later and you're a lottery pick. This all obviously was going to happen during college basketball. There were a lot of college basketball players that chose to actually go to college. Cade Cunningham was offered this route. He said no. Evan Mobley was offered this route. He said no. Zaire Williams from Stanford was offered this route. He said no. Jalen Suggs, I believe, said no. Terrence Clark from Kentucky said no. And so anyway, this program had happened. And when it happened, oh, it's going to ruin college basketball. All the best players are going to take that program. Well, you probably haven't thought much about that program over the last probably four, five, six months. I know that I haven't. Well, as it turns out, the program is going, and they had their first game on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And the backstory is that the G League has created a bubble similar to the NBA bubble last summer, and NBA teams have the option of sending their G League team down to this bubble to get them some extra reps because come playoff time, you might need an extra player, you might need this, you might need that, but it obviously doesn't really make sense to run a full G League season when these teams are spread out really far, when these teams are taking buses, when, you know, the schedule is so crazy as it is that the G League decided to create their own schedule or create their own bubble to make it easier for these teams to get games in and to have an opportunity to get better without messing with the NBA schedule. Well, this G League high school team or really young college team was sent down to this G League bubble and they played on Wednesday. It's worth mentioning on this G League team, there were not only the five high school players that decided to skip college and go straight to this G League program, but also their team had some veterans from the NBA also on this roster. By the way, I hope I'm making sense here, but essentially it was a group of of all-star um, you know, NBA lottery caliber players, of course, everybody knows that players have to be one year removed from high school before they can enter the NBA draft. So rather than going to college, they went to this program, but they went to the bubble, they played Wednesday, and they got the victory. And I actually watched some of it. And so let me give you a few takeaways from the bigger picture of what I saw in this G League bubble. First of all, on a positive note, uh, one of the players named Jonathan Kaminga played really well. He was a kid that was basically down to maybe Duke, Texas Tech, maybe Auburn. His brother at the time was playing at Texas Tech, and so if he had gone to college, he probably would have ended up at Texas Tech. But instead, he goes to this G League program, and he was phenomenal. I watched the game. He had 19 points, hit the game-winning shot, and this G League all-star team basically of high school players did beat a team of regular G League players. And my other big takeaway, by the way, was that there are a lot of really good players in the G League, right? I think everyone thinks, oh, I'll just go to the G League for a year. Uh, If I get drafted in the second round, I'll play in the G League, I'll play in the NBA. You know how many good players are in the G League? Because I was watching this game. Jared Jack, who was in the NBA for like 15 years, was playing in this game. Nico Mannion, who was a McDonald's All-American two years ago, played at Arizona, was playing in this game. Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity, was playing in this game. So a lot of really good players in the G League, and that was another big takeaway. It's really hard to make the NBA, but really, you know what my biggest takeaway was watching this G League event? College basketball is really good for these kids, man. And I know I've done this rant a thousand times, so forgive me. I apologize. I feel terrible. But it needs to be said. 
everybody tries to tear down college basketball, and it has its faults. I wish the, the coaches were a little looser sometimes with how they let them play. I wish there were less charges. I wish Kentucky and Duke didn't stink so much because i got to watch all their games because it's part of my job. But what I've always said is college basketball, while the players don't get paid, first of all, they do get paid. They get a small check every month called cost of attendance scholarship. While I don't get paid maybe the market value that they deserve, college provides a lot of great things for these players. It obviously provides them with great coaching, right? I, I can tease Coach K about wanting to cancel the season. The guy's a Hall of Famer. If he's good enough for LeBron and Kobe and KD, I'm pretty sure he's good enough for your 18-year-old son, okay? Same with John Calipari, same with Tom Izzo, same with Nato, same with Chris Beard, same with Tony Bennett. Really good coaches in college basketball. But also on top of that, it provides everything that you know it provides. Great strength and conditioning. There's better strength and conditioning at some colleges than there is in the NBA. Better meal planning, meal prep, all that stuff. Better facilities. There are better facilities at Duke and Kentucky than most NBA teams. I'm just telling you right now. I've been to both. I've seen NBA facilities, and some of them are really good. I've been to the Lakers facility. It's incredible. But I've been to Kentucky's facilities, and I'm telling you, they spare no expense. And so when I look at this G League program, what it really hit me watching this game was like, college basketball is really good to these kids. And, and here's the biggest reason why. It's not just the things that I said. It's about exposure. Now, look, if it's just about getting a paycheck, I don't blame any player for wanting to get paid. Now, you're not getting paid as much as they said you were going to get paid because they said it was going to be 500000 but the reports are it's closer to 250000 But if you just want to get paid, that's one thing. And if you just want to play the highest level basketball that you can, then going in the G League route isn't the worst route because you're practicing against professionals every day. But if it's about all the other stuff, I'm still telling you college basketball is pretty good, and it hit me watching this because I realized these guys were supposed to be the cream of the crop. They built this entire program for these kids. They were supposed to be the stars of everything, and I haven't even thought about them in 10 months. Jalen Green committed to this program in April. A couple other guys committed in April. It's been 10 months, and they haven't played a game. Say what you want about college basketball. They were on the court in November. Jalen Suggs was playing for Gonzaga on, on Thanksgiving Day. Cade Cunningham was playing the day before Thanksgiving. And the exposure, too, was a big deal. Like I said, I hadn't even thought of these kids, one. Two, the big marquee debut that ESPN built everything around was at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. You know how many times Oklahoma State has played on national TV that wasn't 11 a.m. on a Wednesday? Every time Cade Cunningham's on TV, they're on national TV. Duke stinks. They've been on national TV 30 times this year, or they will be by the end of the year. They haven't played 30 games yet. Duke will be on TV 30 times, and they're not even good. And good time slots. Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Monday, Big Monday, Super Tuesday, whatever. These kids are playing at 11 a.m., and it shows. They're really talented players, and I think for basketball nerds that want to really focus on the draft... They'll tune in, but it tells you everything you need to know about what ESPN thinks about this program. They could have put them at 7 p.m. Eastern. They could have put them instead of Duke or Carolina or Kentucky, but they know that people care more about college basketball than they do about this program. And so for all the faults of college basketball, at the very least, it gives all these kids a great platform, right? Gives them the opportunity to play on national TV 30 times a year. Jalen Suggs was not going to be the number two overall pick or number three overall pick until he went to Gonzaga. I talk about it every year. 
but there's plenty of guys. Obi Toppin is a guy that would have never had the success that he did without college basketball. Emmanuel quickly, the success that he's having in the NBA right now. You can go on and on and on and on down the list. Even Luca Garza, I don't know if he'll make it in the NBA. The guy's got a heck of a better, stronger brand right now than some of these kids in the G League, and so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but I just bring it up to say, by the way, there's other guys too. Moses Moody from Arkansas. The kid's been helped a ton by college. Don't tell me college isn't valuable. Ask Moses Moody if it's valuable. He's going to be a millionaire in a couple months from now. Same with Zaire Williams. Same with all these guys that are playing college basketball. So shout out to the G League because they made their debut, and essentially nobody watched, except for me. And I just think it shows the value of college basketball, even though everybody's trying to tear it down. Very quickly, one place where there maybe is not as much value as we had hoped, and that's McCormaker. And I just want to talk about him really quick. I don't want to pour salt in a wound because, you know, there's a lot of circumstances around it. But you may remember McCormaker. He was the kid over the summer that he committed to Howard. Five-star player, top 15 player nationally. He committed to Howard. And at the time, he had an opportunity to go to Kentucky. He had an opportunity to go to UCLA. And it was a big, huge story. Oh, he's going to a HBCU. And I, for one... I'm happy. Listen, anytime a kid goes to college basketball, I'm happy because it's relevant content for me. But I had some question marks about his commitment, if he'd even play, if he'd even show up on campus. Were the people around him, I don't blame a 19-year-old kid, but were the people around him doing this more for exposure for him and PR than anything? I don't know if we definitively got an answer, but I can tell you this. Did not work out well for McCore Maker. Howard shut down their season on Tuesday. And I'm not here to, again, pour salt in the wound. They only got to play five games. McCormaker only played two because of injury. I feel bad for that program. I feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for everybody that tried to do everything they could to get on the court, and there just simply weren't the resources at Howard to make it happen in the way that there are resources at Duke or UCLA or Kentucky or Tennessee or Arkansas or North Carolina or Georgia Tech or wherever. But this also kind of goes to what I said when this commitment happened. Everybody wanted, oh, this is going to change the recruiting landscape forever. It might. There still might be some kids that go to HBCUs. There are still going to be kids that take unconventional paths. And I think we've learned the last few years that you don't need to go to a Duke or a Kentucky or a UCLA to be a successful college player or NBA draft pick. Anthony Edwards went to Georgia last year and ended up being the number one overall pick. But what I would also tell you, in the same way that there are negatives to going to that G League route that I just referenced, there's real negatives going to a school that is a low major like Howard. And I talked about it over the summer, but it's worth repeating. It's a small school. They don't have great resources. Um, The travel is not ideal. So if Howard had played a normal season, maybe everything would have been great and McCormaker would have been a trendsetter. But realistically, this was a team that also probably would have had to spend most of the November and December portion of the schedule driving around on a bus, playing as many buy games as they can to help out the athletic department. There's nothing wrong with that. No disrespect. Everybody's got bills to pay. But at the same time, it's a really tough way to live, and it's a really tough way if you're trying to put yourself in position to be, in a, to be a lottery pick. It makes for great headlines. First take. Stephen A. Smith, they want you to come on your show. But then the season starts, 
And then you got to go taking buses from place to place to place to place to place. You got to maybe play three games in five nights in three different states. You got to go, you don't have what I said earlier, the meal prep, the training, the coaching, all the things that you get in an elite school. You don't have the teammates and so you're the focus of attention. And so had the season been played and had McCord Maker been played, there's a chance he could have hurt his draft stock by going to a place like Howard. Not to say that guys can't hurt their draft stocks out where I get it. We're talking about Duke and Kentucky, right? They stink. But I'm just saying, we always hear every single year there's a kid that wants to be a trendsetter and he wants to do it different and this is going to change everything. We saw it 15 years ago with Brandon Jennings. Oh, he's going to go to Europe. Everyone's going to do that. He was the last one to do it. Oh, Manuel Moutier. Manuel Moutier is the last one to do it. Uh, RJ Hampton, last one to do it as of right now. G League, we'll see what happens with the G League. That one might have some staying power. But like committing to the HBCU, I thought made for great headlines. I think, first of all, I think it's good for college basketball. I wish the season had gone normal. But again, there's also a reason why you go to a school like a Kentucky, like a UCLA, like a Stanford, like a USC, whatever, because they have more advantages, you have better teammates, and you're just not in a position like Howard is in where they can't keep their players healthy because it's a small school without the resources, without the testing, without the quarantining policies. I'm just rambling. What I'm saying is I wish the kid luck, but this clearly did not work out the way that anybody thought that it would as his career appears to be over. In theory, he, of course, could come back to college, but he played only uh, two games in college, and the team as a whole only played five before shutting the season down. All right, I think that's enough Torres rambling for one day. Uh, we're going to get to Nate Oates here in a minute, head coach Alabama. Really fun interview. You guys are going to love it. Nate Oates is awesome, man. And, you know, I had a buddy of mine uh, text me or call me today and just say, you know, Torres, I, what I love about you is that, you know, you bring on these guys before they become rock stars. And that's exactly what Nate Oates has become. Uh, uh, I, I, summertime. Nobody knew who. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I had Nate Oates on. A friend of mine. Who's Nate Oates? Well, now the hottest coach in college basketball. First place in the SEC. But it's a really fun interview. I think you'll enjoy it. We talked just a lot about a lot of different things. How this season came together. When he realized his team would be so good. How good can they be if they can ever get healthy and what's next for this team. Also, how he got into playing the style that he does, which I know has taken college basketball by storm. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast because great guests. By the way, I'm just going to tell you because I already I already did the interview, so there's no screwing this one up now. Next week, I got an all-time interview for you. Brian Bosworth, the Boz, joins the Aaron Torres Podcast. He's coming on next week. It's going to be incredible. I already interviewed him. He's great. Talk about Barry Switzer. Talk about a lot of stuff. The point being, make sure you're subscribed. Nobody delivers the content that I do. Nobody delivers the takes that I do. Some of them are terrible, but some of them aren't. And nobody delivers the guests that I do. Joe Lenardi, Nate Oates, Marshawn Lynch, Brian Bosworth next week. It's incredible. So make sure you're subscribed. You can do it on iTunes. The Podcast Addict app, if you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean. Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, also, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Find the YouTube page, find the Facebook page, and as always, if you have any questions, Aaron 
Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Question with gmail.com. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And I lied. That's not all that there is. But that is all for me. Now, Alabama head coach Nate Oates. All right, joining me via Zoom, very excited. Uh, the return, the return, I spoke with him well, a few times, but, you know, during quarantine, we didn't know where we are going to get a college basketball season, what was it going to look like. Now first place in the SEC, Nate Oates, Alabama. How you doing, man? Shoot, we're doing good. We, uh, we're playing great for a while. We're not playing as good anymore, but we had, we had an ugly win last night. An ugly win's better than a pretty loss, though, so we're – it's a better day in the office today after a win. Absolutely. I was just going to ask you, how your guys holding up? I mean, you've, you've been – the kind of the incredible thing about your season is that uh, you really, frankly, haven't had your full roster for most of the year. Um, you know, Jordan Bruner gets hurt at Kentucky. Javon Quinterly was in and out. Uh, you had a kid go down at South Carolina. Just just how your guys holding up? Everybody doing okay? Because we're getting to the stretch run where everybody's got bumps and bruises. Yeah, I mean – I tell our guys every year, like you get to February, hardly anybody in the country is going to be a hundred percent and hardly any player is going to be at full speed. You can have nicks, bumps, bruises, got to play through them. But I mean, it seems to me like we're a little more banged up than normal. You know, we haven't had Bruner for a month. We, uh, Herb Jones has been hobbled for three weeks now. He's nowhere close to being himself. You know, Quinterly had a two week, break where he kind of lost I mean he was playing great at Tennessee and two weeks off and now he's I thought he looked pretty good last night you know against South Carolina but you know he's starting to get get it back but yeah I mean it's just if we could have kept everybody healthy the whole time we I mean, we had a role in there when right before Bruner it was that Kentucky game you yeah. know like Herb went out with the dislocated finger but Quinterly had been out before Quinterly was out at the time you know but that Bruner and then kind of after that we uh, we we played pretty well at LSU that might have been the last game where we played really well on both sides of the ball but our defense has been pretty consistent our uh our offense without you know Herb creating shots for for guys because he's just not as explosive as he is when he's healthy and Quinterly's still coming back into form our offense is taking a step back here in the last few weeks it's kind of a dumb question, but, you know, you guys are one of the few teams, as best I can tell, you really haven't had any pause since the start of the season and or certainly not since the start of SEC play. I looked it up. You've played the most conference games in the SEC 11. You've played 21 games overall. I mean, we have teams that haven't even played 10 games yet this season, but uh, you want to play. I'm not implying you don't want to play. I'm not implying you you need a break or you want to break, but at this time of year, is there any disadvantage, as weird as it sounds, is there actually a disadvantage to having played as many games as you've played relative to everybody else? Yeah, there may be. I mean, some other, you know, kind of rest, get your legs under you. When when Oklahoma had the two uh, players out with COVID and there was talk about maybe they're not going to play, we're, we kind of said, well, that may not be the worst thing if we don't play that game. You know, one other team in our league took that. Big 12 challenge day off, you know, but I, I'm not the kind that's going to not play. Like if yeah. we got guys to play, we're playing. I mean, I, I like, I always, cause our players want to play. I mean, I don't yeah. care what these coaches say, like the players always want to play games. So I'm not going to be, ah, let's 
not play. I mean, maybe we got to rest a couple guys and play some bench guys, but it's hard when you're, when you're trying to win the league too, you know, like we're, uh, we don't want to give anything away. I mean, it's, it, we're, yeah, but I, it's a different year. It's so much different than anything else. You know, normal year, everybody's played the same amount of games at this point and they're dealing with fatigue. You're dealing with fatigue. Now it's like, shoot, maybe this team that had two weeks off over here is a lot more fresh than we are. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm, I just think we got to play the games and there's pros and cons to play and there's pros and cons to rest and let's try to make the pros as, you know, as good as we can and limit the cons as much as we can. I, I we're trying to shorten practices up and do all, all that type of stuff, but it's still, you got to practice when you're playing games. So yeah, a little, little bit, there's some other teams, maybe a little more rested. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, just talking to people across the country this time of year, there's been people that have kind of mentioned to me offhand, hey, we've played double the amount of league games as some of the teams are playing and, you know, we're whatever. Doesn't matter. Like you said, you're happy to be winning. I'll ask you, you know, it, it's kind of crazy following your season because there were some struggles in out-of-conference play and it happens to everybody. When did you feel like it clicked? Because you went, I think you were five and three at one point, entered the SEC, maybe six and three. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you guys start rolling. Um, and I think it was probably that game at Rupp that everybody realized, okay, there's something here. I mean, hate to brag. I, I kind of noticed it maybe around that Florida game where you kind of blew them out of the gym. Well, great team, not, no disrespect to them. But, you know, I kind of said, okay, if, if they can play like this, they're going to beat a lot of teams. When did you get the sense okay, we may have turned a semi-corner here and we're probably better than people realize. I think it's probably the Tennessee game. I mean, they, they were highly rated. We went on the road and we were clicking on all cylinders, I thought. I mean, you know, we, we weren't shooting a ridiculous amount like we did against LSU, but I thought our defense was really good. I thought our offense was sharp and we ended up beating them pretty soundly in their own gym. And, and they're a good team, well-coached. It's not, you know, it, it's one thing to do it against a really talented team that's got a lot of bad habits, you know, like, but it's another thing to do it against a well-coached, talented, you know, hard-playing veteran. And I feel like that's what Tennessee is. So when we did it there, I, it's like, all right, we, you know, we got a shot here. I, I thought in the offseason we had a real shot, to be honest with you. I like I, I liked our roster. You know, we had Petty back, Shaq back. I think they were top two return scores in the SEC. I, I knew Herb Jones was a big-time pro that just needed to be healthy. You know, I knew Quinterly could play. You know, we had Primo coming in. Bruner I loved. You know, I, I liked our roster a lot. And then, you know, and it, sometimes it takes a little longer and, what you wanted to as a coach, you know, like we, we were four and three after that Western Kentucky loss and wasn't going the way we wanted it. I think that was kind of the turning point to everything, but I think really that Tennessee went on the road, kind of let all of us know, like, Hey, we're, we could be pretty dang good. We could be one of the best teams in the country. Very good. You know, obviously, look, you know, your narrative and your story has been told and retold and all that stuff with coming from high school, Buffalo, all that stuff. But I was kind of curious, you know, I think your style of play specifically has caught a lot of people's attention this year. The fact that you play fast, you shoot a lot of threes, it's overblown, I know, but shots at the rim, three-point shots, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe, not going to lie, the envy of some other fan bases across college basketball, maybe some players, too, that, that like the style you play. When did, when did you as a coach think, 
this is how I want to coach. This is how I want my guys to play. Was it at the high school level, Buffalo, Alabama? Where, where was that? It, it was back in high school. I, uh, I, you know, I, I was a math guy. I was a math major and taught math for a long time. I, uh, I, I, I like the open style. I like getting up and down. I and mean, we had athletes. You know, I was right outside Detroit. We had a lot of athletes. We got in the gym, worked with them. We did tons of player skill development. So if we're going to spend thousands of hours in the gym developing skill, let's let them play. But you've got to have structure to it too. I mean, you're not just rolling the balls out. You got to coach them. So I think the best way to let them play and shoot, it's what the NBA is doing right now. I mean, they, they've got the best players in the world and they let them play, but there's structure too. I mean, you paid a lot of money to coach basketball up in the NBA. So, you know, we, what, what kind of structure can you give them while you still give them a lot of freedom? And I think that's where you come down, you know, we're going to define the type of shots we're looking for, but we're not going to define every single dribble, every single pass. Or, no, like you're going to have freedom, playmaking ability to use what we worked on in the gym all this time. So, I, you know, I think we built our program back at Romulus on player development, but then you got to let the players play when you develop the players and teach them. So that's where it really developed. I, uh, matter of fact, I talked to Vance Wahlberg this morning. He called me, he watched our game, he watched our Missouri game had a couple pointers for him, but he was one of the ones that I started studying like kind of midway through my, when I decided how I really wanted to play at Romulus. And then he's, you know, and Cal with at Memphis and Vance had a big, you know, like, so I, I got in touch with Vance and through mutual friends. And he sent me six DVDs from when he was at Fresno city college. And they were ridiculous back then. Like if you, I don't know if you've ever watched any of his games when he was at Fresno city, you should get it. Yeah. Somewhere I got those DVDs. Somewhere still, like he was putting up like 170, 180. Wow, really? Yeah, no, it was crazy. He was flying up and down the floor. So we put the whole system in. I, I dropped the pressing part of it because we found when we were playing high major point guards at Romulus. If you open the floor up defensively against these high major point guards, we that didn't always go as well. But we kept the offensive. A lot of the philosophies, the space, the you know his his original. Cal Perry named it dribble drive motion, but I think Vance's original was attack, attack, skip, attack, attack, getting multiple sides of the floor and playing aggressive attacking downhill. So a lot of it goes back to that. You know, I, the first year he was at Pepperdine, me and Josh Baker, my assistant, who was with me here down at Alabama last year too, but he was my assistant at Rymos. We used to go to either an NBA training camp or a college during the first week, or a lot of times we do both because the training camp started in October or start, you know, like late September, basketball would start in college would start in October. So we'd try to do both, but we went out to Pepperdine the first week that Vance was at Pepperdine, spent a whole week with them, and it, it was great. So, yeah, but back in high school is when we got – but we've tweaked it every year. And we even tweaked it in the middle of this year with doing the stuff we're doing. Uh, now we're always looking to make it a little bit better if we can. And we're trying to tweak it right now because we're not playing very well on offense right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> Well, you're banged up. You get half your teams out of, you know, uh, on the sidelines on crutches and stuff. But uh, by the way, for people who don't know, Vance Wahlberg, dribble drive, John Calipari kind of implemented a lot of that at Memphis. And, and obviously that's what Coach Oates is talking about right now. Yeah, it's just, you know, and and I'm a fan first. I don't claim to know the, the, the game as well as you do or anyone at that level or at your level. But it's just like, you know, it is amazing to me. Everyone talks about, you know, like kids want to play. And and I've always, you know, even just watching you guys last year when you were struggling a little bit, I kind of thought, you know, the way that they play, kids are going to want. Do, do you think 
there's too much. I don't want you to pick on any coach specific, but do you think there's too much over coaching sometimes in basketball? Because sometimes it's like you said, coaches always say it's about the players. It's not about me. And then they bring in the players and then it's, it's about them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you can do way more damage over coaching than under coaching. And I, I'll tell you, I mean, I coached 11 years in Detroit. There's big time players, really good high school programs. There's the coaches that really control every single bounce, dribble, pass. Those, you can take them out of everything they want to do. Hmm. Then there's the coaches on the complete opposite of the spectrum. All they did is get their kids to play super hard, had no real coaching on offense. They just let them go. They were more dangerous than the teams that were like coached well. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, there's, yeah. there's a happy medium in the middle. Like you can't roll the balls out like a PE teacher and just give them to play hard. But, but I think that coach is a lot better than the coach that makes them, you know, you're going to do it the exact same way I, do, I tell you to do it. Like turning guys into robots is not playing basketball. Like at least not the way I want to coach basketball. So we, I'm not, I'm not trying to coach every dribble, every pass, every screen. Like we're trying to, if you're not teaching them how to play in practice, then you're not really doing your job. That's how I think. So like in the game, I don't even like to, I tell our team all that. I give them the first three sets out of the gate. I don't even, I, when we're playing our best basketball, we don't even run those three sets out of the gate. We get to the first one, maybe, but we're, when we're taking it out of the net, even on, even on a make, but preferably on a miss, when we're getting a, a rebound to make a steal, I, I want them playing in the flow, like playing, like, like who let's go. Hoop. Now we've got principles and spacing principles and we're going to define the type of shots that you can take. And, but we want you attacking. And if you got to look to the bench and get a call from me every time down the floor, like you're not playing attacking basketball, you're playing a lot more like a robot. And I, that's not what I, that's not how I want to coach. Fantastic. You know, I, I know you only got a few more minutes here. A lot of calls, top team in the SEC. This happens. I'm glad I appreciate you fit me into the schedule, but where, where do you go from here? You know, it seems like, you know, you, you've said a few times that we're not where we want to be. Part of that is what we said. You don't have a full roster. Is it what, how, how do you find that balance of we want to win every game, but we also have to make sure we have our guys back healthy, ready to go for the games that really, 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 really matter in middle the middle of March. Yeah. We had that discussion as a uh, staff today. We had our trainer in there, you know, it's like, Herb Jones banged up with his back. You know, do we, you know, we're trying to win the league. We, uh, the only thing that sets him back at all, like him playing in the games doesn't set him back. It's only if he gets hit. Now that's the problem. Like, like he doesn't get hit every game. He's got it really padded, but you know, if he takes a, a hard charge or a hard fall, like he can get set back. So, you know, what the discussion was, do you sit him a game? just to try to get him healthier. And then, uh, you know, now that Juwan Gary's out, you know, with a shoulder and we don't know when we'll get him back. Like, and they play essentially the same position a lot. Like, and Bruner's out. Now our front court's kind of really decimated. What what do we do? We, we certainly don't want to give up a win when you're trying to, I mean, we're trying to win the league for the first time in almost 20 years. So if we could get a little bit more separation, maybe it makes sense to sit him. But we're not going to plan on sitting them anytime soon. I, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if we've, what do we got, six games left? If we can get to 
four games left with a three game let's lead or something. Thing with, let's clinch this thing with three, like like golf. What do they say? Three and two, three with two to go or something like that. And yeah, something like that. That's what we need to do. Very good. Last question. I know you got to run. Let's let's play best case scenario. Your guys are back. Everybody's relatively healthy. As you said, nobody's going to be 100% by the time we get to a month from now. But is there a ceiling to this team? I mean, you guys have beaten some really good teams really convincingly. Do you, do you feel like if I can have all my guys and they're pretty close to 100%, you feel like you can play with just about anybody, I assume? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, I mean, obviously, Gonzaga and Baylor have set themselves up as probably the two best teams in the, in the country this year. So, and I haven't watched them a ton, but the, the way we shoot the three and the way we're defending, I mean, right now, I think this morning on Ken Palm and, and SEC's got the top two defensive teams in the league. Tennessee's one or in the country. I mean, you know, if you look at the Ken Palm ratings, Tennessee was one and we were two. So, you know, if, you know, who knows if we're really the second best defense in the country or not, but that's what the analytics say on that thing. You know, we're, we're definitely one of the better ones when we've got everybody healthy and playing the way we, we we're capable of playing. And if we shoot threes, like we're capable of, I mean, I think you can beat anybody. So we can also lose to anybody. We, you know, we've lost to Western Kentucky, you know, we've not that they're bad. They're a good team. And Charles Bassey's going to be a pro and they're good, but you know, there's, there's, we've got a, a really high upside, but, if we don't bring it, you know, I mean, you'd see it within one game, the first 20 minutes in the last like 10 minutes of the Missouri game could mm-hmm. two completely different teams. So if we get the team that played the last 10 minutes, that Missouri game and how hard we played, you know, not the first 20, like we're pretty good. If we get the team that shot threes at a level, like we did against LSU, we probably beat anybody, but you know, to do that for however many games in a row, you know, your defense going to have to carry you for when you're, when you're trying to make tournament runs. If you're going to win the SEC tournament, your defense can't carry you. You're not going to make threes at that clip every game, three, four straight days or whatever. If you're going to win, make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, your defense can have to carry you. So that's why, that's why I'm happy with our defense right now, but we got to get our offense back rolling because, you know, people say defense wins championships and, and you got to have a good defense win chip, but you need an offense too. Like, let's not act like, you're just going to go out there and stop people. You got to put the ball in the hole too to win the game. So we got to get our offense back rolling again. Listen, you only got to win nine straight to, to, you know, win it all. No pressure. You started 10 and 0 in SEC play. So, so I know it can be done and uh, I'm a positive vibes only guy. So I'm, I'm wishing you guys the best and, and frankly health. I mean, your guys play so hard and they're so fun to watch and you can see a guy like Herb Jones is hundred percent right now, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and I think they will all be hundred percent, but Coach, I know you got to run. You got other interviews, but thank you. Uh, we'll, I appreciate we'll, you having me on. Absolutely. We'll Thanks, link Aaron. up in the summer and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks, Coach. That was good. Thanks, Aaron. Take care, man. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.